Well, if I have not had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Carter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossbridge, and it is a privilege uh, to be with you all this evening, Miami Marathon weekend. I saw many people I know, many people in the church running the marathon, and every year the same thing happens. I don't know if you resonate with this. I see these people running and their excitement and the, you know, people filming them and cheering them on, and I'm like, I'm doing that next year. And I say that same thing every year because I don't like running and yet, but I want to run a marathon. So if you're here and you resonate with that, like let's have a team of accountability where we force each other to run. Because at some point in my life, anyone else with me, you want to run a marathon? Anyone? Okay, there's three of us. Okay, the three of us, we will do it. I just, I want it one time, guys. It's like a, you know, like the little badges that you get. Like I ran a marathon. I won't put the sticker on my car. No shade if you do but I'll just run it one time. But I'm glad to be here with you all. We are in episode four of our series that we launched at the beginning of the year called God First. And the idea behind this series is as we start a new year, we jump into 2024 and we set goals and we begin to think about where we are going as individuals and as a church, we wanna go to God's word and say, God, what does it look like for us to put you first in the major aspects of our life. So for instance, what does it look like for us to put you first with our time, with our influence? This evening is gonna be with our fruits that are produced in our life. We're gonna be looking next week, God, what does it look like to put you first in our money? Just because you heard that, please show up next week, okay? What does it look like to put God first in our family, in our career? Because we believe that God has called us as a church, not just to be individuals coming together to worship and to learn and go out about our week, but to be a community that God sets the pace for us and he gives us a vision together that we can run. And we believe that Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is the perfect place to go. It's the greatest sermon ever delivered. It's in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter five through seven. We've been working through different passages to say, Jesus, what do you have to say to us about how we are to put you first in the different aspects of our life. And so tonight we're looking at God first in our fruits. Now, I'm gonna explain what that means. It may be a little hazy about what the topic is and we're gonna get to that. You know, one thing as I was thinking about this week is that so much of our learning is done through addition. So when we think about learning in our career or gaining a skill or growing in knowledge, we think about adding things to our life. So adding a course that we study under, adding content to be consumed, because as we add to our life and our mind, we then grow. Now, interestingly, all throughout the Bible, God has this profound way of growing us and teaching us and causing us to learn through the exact opposite. Not through addition, but through subtraction. The place that God does some of the most formative work in the life of his people is in the desert. If you go and look throughout the Bible, you will see God taking his people into the desert so that they might be prepared for what he has ahead of them, that they might learn and grow. So Moses, when he leads God's people out of slavery in Egypt and they're heading towards the promised land, God has them in the desert for 40 years. King David, he's anointed king, but he does not assume the throne. He's actually running and hiding in the desert for roughly 10 years before he's ready to assume the throne. 
Jesus himself, before he goes into public ministry for three years, he goes into the desert, led by the Spirit to fast for 40 days. And here in the desert, God subtracts. I mean, you just picture a desert, it's the subtraction of so many of the things that we enjoy in different ecosystems. It's less trees, less shade, less shelter, less water, less life. And God takes us into these places that can be uncomfortable, where things are removed so we can learn simple truths. You know, in the desert, you have to rely on simple things to survive. And this evening, as we are going to jump into a section of Jesus' teaching, it is desert-like. And what I hope God does tonight is that he removes some of the things that you have added to your faith that have been affecting your faith, putting obstacles in your faith, slowing down the learning and the growth of your faith, and that you experience a desert where maybe you're asking some hard questions of yourself, but it leads you to see the beauty that he has prepared for you and what he's given you. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20. And here's what God's word says to us. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 16. By their fruits you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I read this verse, good tree produces good fruit, bad tree produces bad fruit, bad tree is, is useless, it's cut down and thrown into the fire, and Jesus says that people will be recognized by their fruit. What did that cause you to feel? When you heard that, what did you feel? You know, I think for many, when we look at this verse, the feeling that comes up, if we're honest, is a feeling of fear. Because Jesus is pretty clear, right? Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. And a bad tree is useless. It's to be cut down, burned. And you will recognize people by their fruit. Fear comes up. I think for many people, maybe this is your story too, many of us in the origin of coming to faith or going to church or being exposed to Christianity, what it did was it instilled in us fear. Maybe you were in an environment, maybe you're still working through that, where you have heard the message that you need to get right with God, you need to work on yourself, you need to improve your goodness, you need to produce more good things and more good works because good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees are cut down and they're burned. I, I resonate with that. I think for a long time I assumed God was this way. As if God is somewhat like a cosmic Santa. I wrote a little song for you. It goes like this. <clears throat> you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. 
Judgment Day is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Judgment Day is coming to town. I mean, right? Many of us are raised, and maybe you're here tonight, and you have felt that. It's like, I'm here because I know. I want to be a good tree. I want to produce good fruit. I don't want to be a bad tree. I don't want to be cut down and burned. Judgment day is coming to town. And it doesn't help because the next few verses, right after this, here's what Jesus says. Ready? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Like, hey, God, didn't we do a lot of things for you? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Fear. It's a hard question that I want you to be honest with yourself. Ask yourself, answer it in your mind. What motivates you to follow God? What motivates you to be here tonight? What motivates you to want to grow in your faith? What motivates you to want to produce things according to God's word and put him first in different aspects of your life? What motivates you? And is it fear? Is it an inner compulsion to produce good fruit because you know it is so easy to produce bad fruit and so you're working and striving and trying and trying to overcompensate so that you can produce more fruit than bad fruit so that you're deemed by God a good tree and not a bad one. You know, psychologists differentiate between two types of emotions. There's primary emotions and there's secondary emotions. Primary emotions are emotions that are not conscious. Primary emotions are emotions that signal something to you. You don't think them up. You don't generate them yourself. It just comes upon you. You can't control it. For instance, if you are walking down Brickle Lab, I know this never happens to any of you, and you're on your phone, you're looking down at your phone, you have your headphones in, you're listening to music, you're walking to get lunch, and you're searching and scrolling on your phone, and you think as you're turn taking a left across the street out of your periphery, you see no cars, so you're still looking down, you're crossing the street, but a motorcycle that rides on the sidewalk and the street and everywhere else in between comes off and goes right past you, what overcomes you? Fear. As a motorcycle almost destroys you, you can't control it. It's a wave of fear, rush of adrenaline. When you're scrolling on social media and you're checking out some of the things that are happening in the lives of people that you follow and you know and you see an old college friend that you're not connected to anymore and you guys are in the same profession and they're celebrating, they're landing this job that you've been working for and you've always wanted and there's a wave of emotion that comes over you and it's jealousy. Primary emotion. It's not conscious. You can't control it. When you pull up the news and you see another tragedy, more hate, more division, and it causes anger. These are primary emotions, worry, jealousy, anger, fear. And these things aren't sin. In fact, primary emotions are things that we are to pray to God. 
All throughout the Bible, God calls us to pray to him our primary emotions because it's how we're authentically feeling in the moment. It is a signal to us that something that we need to process, we need to evaluate, we need to work through, we are to pray them to God. If you read David in the Psalms, he is constantly praying his primary emotions to God. He prays anger and jealousy and fear and worry. He casts them out to God in prayer. Primary emotions, authentic feelings, uncontrolled, they come upon you. Secondary emotions are different. Secondary emotions are primary emotions that have settled and rooted within you. They have been wired within your makeup and they become your identity. They become things that are not passing. They're not just a result of stimuli. They are things that are wired deep within you. They are burdens that you feel consistently. Part of your internal makeup. It's anger which lingers and turns to hate. It's worry that turns to prevalent anxiety. It's jealousy that turns to coveting. It's sadness which morphs into depression. It's fear that becomes trepidation. When I speak about fear this evening, I'm not speaking about generalized fear because generalized fear is actually a gift of God. It signals to us that something is off, that there's evil or there's harm, and we are to cast it to God. We are to share with God the things that we're fearful of. But trepidation and terror is different. It's a, it's a cowering. It's a, it causes timidity and a paralysis and a passivity within us because we are so full of trepidation and terror that we can't move forward. Secondary emotions like this are rooted realities. They are a dysfunction. They cause us to doubt and to be critical of ourselves and to bring about timidity and paralysis within us. And here's the thing that's really helpful to me. I hope it's a help to you. You know that a primary emotion has become a secondary emotion when you can't pray it to God. When you can't pray that emotion to God because it's become so much of your identity and so much of you that it's hard to speak about it. You can't cast it. First Peter tells us to cast our cares on God because he cares for us. And when we can't do that, it's because a primary emotion has become a secondary emotion and it's wired within us. It's no longer a signal of something to evaluate and process. It's a burden. And for many of us, our spiritual life at its core, the thing that motivates us and drives us is a secondary emotion of fear, terror, trepidation, not a healthy fear of God, not a healthy fear of living out of accord with God's word, not a healthy fear of wanting to honor God with our lives. No, like a terror, a trepidation that causes us to ask questions like, am I really saved? Could God really love me? Causes us to read this verse that Jesus shares with us and say, maybe I am a bad tree. Maybe Jesus is going to say to me, I never knew you. And to feel that fear, to feel that terror. I want to get back to our passage, verse 16. This is the key to everything we're discussing tonight in terms of what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says this, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Here's the key. Part A, Jesus is saying, 
you will recognize people by their fruit. Clear. Really important question. What does Jesus mean by fruit? So here's what I'm going to do. This is an interactive element in the sermon. There's a text number on the screen. You, I want to ask you right now to pull out your phone and text in anonymously. Don't put your name. No one's going to know. Text in what you believe Jesus means by fruit. It could be a couple words, one word. It could be a phrase. What do you think Jesus means that we will recognize people by their fruit? Good fruit, bad fruit. What does he mean? As you're texting that in, because I'm going to check it, I left my phone. I'm going to grab it. I'll be right back, okay? So text it in. And I'm going to read some of these anonymously, but as you're texting in your answer, I'm going to give you a little bit of time. I want to look at part B of this verse. So Jesus says that we will recognize people by their fruit. We're going to see what we think that means, because that's really important. And then he says, you don't pick from thorn bushes. Like, there's no grapes on thorn bushes, and there's no figs on thistles. Now, here's what's interesting about that. From a distance... People would approach a thorn bush thinking it had grapes on it because from a distance, a thorn bush can look like it has grapes, but when you get closer, you see it's actually blackberries. From a distance, thistles look like figs. There's little flowers that grow out of thistles, and they look like figs that grew in the ancient Near East. And so, but when you got closer, you realized it's a thistle. It's not a fig tree. So what Jesus is saying is that We will recognize people by their fruit, and you will be able to see clearly the closer you get. From a distance, you may not be able to see, but the closer you get, you will see their fruit. Okay, so what do we got here? What does Jesus mean by we will recognize each other by our fruit? Okay, ready? Here we go. All anonymous. Behavior and character, results of our actions, our actions, our relationship with other people, the fruit of the Spirit, your person, your intentions, your behavior, your character, your character traits, your character. We got it, right? So, I was thinking that most of us would respond in this way, actions, behavior, character. Oftentimes, the way that I hear people describe fruit, as Jesus uses it here, is it's your works. So it's pretty simple, like good trees produce good works, or good character, or good behavior, or good actions. Bad trees produce bad works or bad behavior, bad character, bad actions. So I want to read this verse. Check out this verse. If we input works as the, next slide, input works as the alternate for fruit. Okay, so likewise, every good tree bears good works, but a bad tree bears bad works. A good tree cannot bear bad works, and a bad tree cannot bear good works. And then Jesus says, a bad tree, which is producing maybe bad character, bad fruit, bad works, bad actions, bad behavior, it's useless, so it's cut down, and it's burned. In this scenario, what would this cause us to think 
about ourselves and how would it cause us to live out our faith? Because here's the thing. When we look at ourselves and we evaluate our character, our actions, our behavior, our works, anyone in here have only good works? Good. We all passed. We're a mix of them. There are good works, good actions, good character, good behavior in all of us. And then there are bad works. Misformed character and behavior in all of us. So if Jesus means behavior, character, actions, works, then the result of having fear and trepidation and terror in our relationship with God makes complete sense. And it causes us to read this verse and ask these questions. Am I producing good works for God? Is God first in my actions and my deeds? Am I producing too many bad works and therefore I may be a bad tree because I'm only focused on self? That's scary. But here's a problem. We got the answer wrong. Good fruit does not equal works. It doesn't equal works. It doesn't equal actions. It doesn't equal behavior. I want to define it this way. Fruit equals Spirit-filled living. Spirit-filled living. This can include behavior, actions, works. Things are that are a result of a spirit-filled life. But that is way too narrow. And it is not what Jesus has in mind. It is a spirit-filled living. And here's how I know this. Because Jesus in John 15 says the following. He says this. He says that God prunes us meaning he cuts away dead things, puts us maybe in the desert in a place of subtraction and discomfort. He will prune us so that we might produce more fruit. He tells us that when he prunes us and when he takes us through difficulty and we face different obstacles, when God takes us in those places, he tells us what to do. Ready? To remain in Jesus. And then he says this. Ready? No one can produce fruit by themselves. So if God prunes us so that we can produce more fruit, and Jesus' directive is to remain in him, in relationship and proximity to him, and then he very clearly says, you cannot produce fruit by yourself. Then, therefore, fruit cannot equal good works. Here's how I know that. Because Christians are not the only people that produce good works. All people can produce good works. It is a, is a byproduct of God's common grace to everyone. All of us know people of other faiths that don't believe in God at all, but are charitable and kind and generous and can do good things. And also, non-Christians are not the only people that produce bad works. We all do. We have no problem producing bad works, and we are capable of producing good works. So Jesus says that no one is capable of producing fruit themselves. So he can't mean works. He means spirit-filled living. Because you cannot produce a spirit-filled life. You yourself cannot produce the fruit of a spirit-filled life. You know why? Because it's not up to you. It's the spirit that produces it 
within you. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this, the fruit is the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the law. Couldn't be more clear. The fruit is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the self. The fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the law. It's not the good things you do under God's word. It's the Spirit. I think what really puts it clear is the first chapter in the book of Psalms, verse 3. Here's what it says about you and me. Ready? That we are a person, it's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So we are a tree planted by streams of water, and we yield fruit in season, and our leaves don't wither, and whatever we do, we prosper. We are trees producing fruit, not workers picking fruit. We are trees with our roots down deep in the soil next to the river. And the way that we prosper, the reason that our leaves don't wither, and the reason that fruit is produced is not because we've worked so hard as a tree to create it and generate it ourselves. It's because we're by a river. And the river supplies us with the nutrients and the life that we need to grow. If a tree has no water, guess what happens to its leaves? It withers. If a tree has no water, guess what? It will not prosper. If a tree has no water, it will not produce fruit. But we are trees producing fruit. But for many of us, we live out our Christian faith like we're workers that God calls to go pick fruit. I got to work for God. I got to perform for God. I got to go generate and create and pick more fruit because I know I have bad fruit. So I got to pick some more good fruit so I can show God I have more good fruit than bad fruit. You're not a worker. You're a tree. And you're by a stream of water. You cannot produce the fruit yourself. The fruit is produced as a byproduct of your roots going deeper in the soil by the water. That is what produces the fruit. So here's, I say it very clearly. When you are deeply rooted in God, when you remain in Jesus as he commands us, when you walk by the Spirit, your roots dive deeper into the soil next to the river of life that is Christ himself. And guess what will happen no matter what? Fruit will be produced. Because you're deeply rooted in God. This should drive out fear and trepidation and terror and produce in you joy. See, I want us to see how dangerous it is for our faith and our life to be motivated by fear, even just a little bit of it. I think so much of unloving behavior, missteps in life, and repeated failures are a byproduct of fear. Of fear. I wrote this down. At the root of harsh, rude, hurtful, unloving behavior is fear. Fear of being taken advantage of, fear of losing your position, fear of the past rising up. The missteps in our life, the impulses, the unwise risks we take, the overindulgences, fear. Fear of missing out, fear of being unwanted, fear of being left out. All of our repeated failures, fear. 
In fact, studies show that addiction, whether it's addiction to a substance or pornography or gluttony or any type of addiction, at the root of it is fear. Fear of facing your demons, fear of acceptance, fear of forgiveness. And so what do you think happens when at the core of your spiritual life, there's fear, terror, trembling? I think it does at least three things. It creates a disconnected relationship with God. Because God is watching you, and he's keeping a list, and he's checking it twice. And he's waiting to see what you're going to do, and are you performing for him, and are you doing enough, are you picking enough fruit? So your relationship with God is disconnected because you've misjudged him. It leads you to strive to work hard for God and try to be good and be better, but you're never quite good enough, and it's exhausting. And so for many people, because you've tried so hard to be good and to get better and to improve, and you can't do it, it leads you to say, you know what, I'm just going to kind of give up. I can never be good enough for this Christianity thing. can't do it. Or it leads you to believe that basically all religions are the same, and so therefore they're all about just being a good person, and you're just going to be a good person, and so your faith has probably become passive and stagnant, and you're misguided on the truth of the gospel. This is so critical, friends, because if we get this wrong, and we try to put God first in our time, or our influence, or our money, or our family, or our career, whatever it is, if underneath that there's a fear and terror and trepidation in our relationship with God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead us astray in all those fronts. And it will lead us to feeling exhausted and disconnected and burned out in our faith. And at the end of 2024, you'll look back on your year and you'll say, I didn't feel any different this year in my faith, in my relationship with God than I did in 2023 or 2022 or 2021. Because of fear. If you don't hear anything tonight, I pray that you hear the words of John. Here's what he says in 1 John chapter 4. Ready? There is no fear in, say it with me, love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. It's absolutely essential for you to understand that the Christian life produces fruit bearing from love. Fruit bearing from love, not fruit picking from fear. We produce fruit because of love. He first loved us, so therefore we love. The perfect love of God has cast out fear Because perfect love has nothing to do with fear. Fear has to do with punishment. So there is no fear of punishment in our relationship with God because we've received the love of God that's cast out fear. And so the fruit that we produce, the growth and the learning and the transformation that comes in our life is a byproduct of the Spirit working in us because of the love of God. Because we're by the stream and our roots are diving deeper. It is not because we're trying to pick fruit to offer it to God. Fruit bearing from love, not fruit picking from fear. And when this is true of you, when you get this, it sounds so simple. Remember I said, we're going to the desert. Let's subtract and let's go to simple reliance, a new vision, a clear understanding of your faith. When you understand this, then you will see that you will prosper in everything, as Psalm says. 
When the storm comes, you prosper. When the wind comes, you prosper. When the sun is beaten down and scorching, you prosper. Why? Not because you're great. Not because you have everything right. Not because you've worked everything out. It's because you're a tree by a river. And the river is sustaining you. And the river is Christ himself. The river is the very God whose perfect love casts out fear. And so I want to say this. If you have fear in any place in your relationship with God, in any department, in any area, it means that your roots are too shallow and they need to go deeper. They need to dive down deeper. Putting God first in your fruit is not done by creating a list and saying, here are the things I'm going to do better and here are the things that I'm going to do no longer. It is not by creating or changing a label Many of us do this. We go to God and we say, God, I know. I know who I am. God, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a sinner. I'm a failure. I'm, I've made so many mistakes. I'm, but God, I'm not going to be that anymore. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be pure. I'm going to be righteous. I'm going to be holy. I'm changing the label, God. The production of fruit, the war of the production of fruit is not done in your effort. It's from the depths of your soul has nothing to do with external effort. It is not a religious enterprise. It's a relationship that you have with God. That's why Jesus says when God takes you in difficult seasons, remain in him. Because you can't produce fruit yourself. He will produce it in you. You're a tree that is planted by a river. And when you are in seasons of dryness, when you're in seasons of difficulty, Guess what the response is? Don't go try to pick more fruit to offer it to God. Dive the roots deeper. There's life down there. You may say, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. Well, good thing Psalms verse 2 tells us exactly what to do. Ready? It's so simple. It's the person who, the person that prospers, doesn't wither and produces fruit, is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That's another it's a way of saying God's word, the Bible. It's a person whose delight is in the Bible and who meditates on the Bible day and night. That's it. But look at the words. It doesn't say it's a person that reads the Bible. It's the person that delights and meditates the connected words here in Hebrew are words like savor, enjoy, contemplate, consider. Like when you read this verse, it actually causes you to slow down. It's the person who delights in God's word and meditates on it day and night. This is when the roots are driven deeper. This is when you find new soil of rich nutrients to supply strength. This is when the water from the river begins to rush in and your leaves don't wither and you, don't, you prosper even in seasons of difficulty and fruit is produced. And I, I need you to hear this because the, our culture pr- tries to promise the exact opposite. This is not automatic, okay? So it's not like God... I delighted and meditated on your word today. I didn't see any fruit. It's not automatic. Consider a tree. Jesus has used this example for a reason. A tree 
goes through a whole process before fruit is produced. It takes the water from the soil. It takes the nutrients. The tree begins to grow. The leaves stretch out. The branches grow. And then when it's the right season, a little bulb of fruit comes out. And that slowly grows. And you can't even really tell from a distance until you get closer. It's not automatic. And so I want to say it like this. Don't read your Bible and then just move on. Do you know who knows the Bible by heart? The devil. He knows the Bible by heart. He used it against Jesus when he was in the desert. He knows it by heart, but he doesn't savor it. He doesn't meditate on it. He doesn't enjoy it. He doesn't linger in it. He doesn't contemplate it. He doesn't consider it. See, God tells us not just to read his word and move on about our day. He tells us to make space and find time to delight in it, to enjoy it, to contemplate it, to work it over because God's word is a delight for us. And the reason that we want to love God and honor God by delighting in his word is why? Because he first loved us. It's not out of fear. It's not, God, I got to read my Bible today. I don't know what you're going to do. No, no, no. It's like, God, you love me. You planted me by the river of life that you offer, and I just want to enjoy it. So I want to ask you this question in closing. Is God's word primarily a book showing you what you have to do, or is it a book showing you what God's done for you? It's a big difference. Is it an instruction manual for life, or is it God's love letter to you? See, I get it. If the Bible is an instruction manual and tells you what to do, I don't want to want to read it either. Certainly not linger in it. But if it's God's love letter, if it reveals his character, his care and concern and compassion for me, if it reveals to me what he's done for me and how he upholds me and he puts me in a place of prosperity even when I'm facing difficulty, when he plants me by a river of life that will sustain me and give me strength and he stretches me out and even when he's pruning and cutting things away from me, I will see that there is great fruit produced in my life because he's near to me. Then I want to read it and delight in it and linger in it. And so I hope you hear this. Your fruit is a direct result of God's word being first because it's life-giving to the roots of your soul. And here's what you will see happen. When God's word is first because it roots your soul in Christ and in the spirit himself, what you will see produce in your life, ready? Greater engagement in prayer, a heart of generosity, a heart of compassion, an increase in kindness, a desire to show love to others, even your enemies, an ability to forgive, a heart to serve. It will change you. Subtract all the other religious stuff and go back to the basics of simple reliance on God by putting his word first and delight in it. Don't rush it. Delight in it. Amen.